Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, December 7th. Holy cow, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, over the weekend... Matt. Ashley, uh, <laughs> we... <laughs> we had a couple things hit the podcast feed since the last time we had a Today on Broadway episode. First, on Friday, the great and the good James Marino spoke to two-time, two-time Tony Award nominee Lindsay Jones uh, about a lot of different things. He is nominated twice for Slave Play in the Tony Awards that may or may not ever actually happen. He also discussed his work on the audible release of the Williamstown Theater Festival production. Uh, of a streetcar named Desire, yeah. starring Audrey McDonald and Carla Gugino, and that might eventually end up on the Broadway. So uh, we'll see. That would Who be knows? great. Maybe that would be great. As I talked about on the show the other day, I was absolutely planning on making a trip to see that when it was totally. supposed to be an in-person thing. So yeah, it's and co- Bobby Cannavale was supposed to be yeah, in it at that point too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, well, we may get theater again someday. So cut down my travel yeah. time at least. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Not 100% sure about that. Mm. But then on Sunday, James, Peter, and Michael welcomed the incredible, legendary, incomparable writing team of Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty Ooh. to This Week on Broadway. They had a wonderful chat with them, uh, took some questions um, about... Um, this new project that they are releasing. It's not new. It's a, a previously unreleased uh, song cycle, actually two of them, right. called right. Legacy that is coming out. Um, so it's very cool. They did that, talked about all that kind of stuff. Those are the um, ones with Marin Maisie, right? Oh, is it? I didn't know I that. I think so. I think because I, I talked oh. about it on the show and one of them is with Marin yes, Maisie. And you're J- right. One of them is with Marin Maisie and Jason Danieli. So that'll just rip me to pieces. And then the final track of the second one was recorded at 54 Below uh, that she did yeah. a, in like 2012 or something. Because these are from yeah. 2004, I think, maybe. Yeah, they were first recorded in 2004 with Marin and Jason. Yeah. And then th- there was another one. Um, that was recorded in November of 2004. It had uh, Sarah Uriarty, uh, Barry, and Stephen Pasquale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so some very cool stuff there. But anyway, check that out. Those are both in the feed. Of course, you can hear all of our episodes on patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon before they make it into the regular feed. And you can always ask questions for this week on Broadway episodes there as well. All right, Ashley, let's get into today's news. First up, on Thursday night, the London Daily Mail's Baz Bama Boy reported that the legendary composer Alan Menken and his regular new, I guess, ish lyricist collaborator Glenn Slater were working with playwright James Graham, who I think was most recently on Broadway with Inc., uh, on a new musical adaptation of George Orwell's classic novel, Animal Farm, which I think I read freshman or sophomore year of high school. Is that right? When people normally read that, um, that there are no current right. pl- yeah. yeah. Um, there are no current plans on when the piece will be workshopped or pre- presented or anything. Nor is there a director attached. But Ashley, I-, I wanted to mention this at the top of the show because we had a conversation last week about a director that mm-hmm. needed to be working yeah. more on the Broadway, and this seems right up the alley. Seems really obvious. Of one Julie Tame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Julie Tame. Seems really obvious choice. Yeah. Um, now, th- there have been adaptations of Animal Farm before. I think there was one in New York off or off off Broadway, like within the past four or five years. Uh, there might have even been other musicalizations, but I'm kind of excited about Mencken working on this because 
if, if people don't know, this is a, a, a essentially an allegory for what happened yeah. with the Russian Revolution yeah. um, and how the people rose up and they overthrew their uh, overthrew the czars. In this case, it was like the farmer. And then the yeah. people were leading themselves, except for certain groups of people ended up becoming tyrants themselves. Yeah. Um, so it's a super political piece. Um, and we haven't had a ton of that from Mencken. In the past, I don't know, four decades. I mean, obviously, all of his Disney <laughs> stuff has a little bit, like, a there's little bit of social some, commentary. There's always something, because, I mean, they're usually based on something yeah. larger, uh, yeah. w- whether it be a, another piece of art or the, just the general. Fairy tale. Yeah, the general yeah. thing. But then there's, but then you go back even further, you get stuff like, I mean, Little Shop is very much about, you know, capitalism and stuff. Yep. And you get God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, yep. even Weird Romance, which I've actually seen. I uh, haven't. Interesting. All right. It's very weird. Um, <laughs> but like, so, you know, he can do this stuff. And obviously those were written with different people. Um, the first two with Howard Ashman, the last yeah, one with David Spencer. Yeah. But like, he's capable of doing things that aren't disney and i'm very interested to hear what this sounds like because this will be something that i think is a little bit more edgy for lack of a better term than what we've heard from him in recent decades yeah i think so and i think glenn slater would certainly contribute to that i'm not a glenn slater fan (laughs) so i i'm very tentative about this you're you are right there was a um an animal farm, I think earlier this year. Was it really? A thousand years ago from the, yeah. the seeing place theater off, off Broadway, uh, yeah. which I didn't get to see, but yeah, I think it was in like January, February of this past year, which feels like a decade ago at this yeah, point. I was say, so I was right. It was four or five it years ago. It was four or five years ago. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I would certainly be curious to see this. As you said, um, He's not, Mencken is not just a Disney person. And I think the fact that he has done so much Disney is really just a credit to the fact that he can do these larger, broader themes and political themes. So I feel like this could be something that he does very well. Again, tentatively with Glenn Slater, <laughs> who is 50-50. I'll be kind and say 50-50. So yeah, yeah we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, that's just call a spade a spade. Mm. The, the, the musicals he's done with Glenn Slater have not been great. Mm. His, his <laughs> best work over the past few decades have been done with other people, whether that's um, uh, uh, Stephen Schwartz or um, or Tim Rice or Jack Feldman um, or those kind of folks. Although some of the additional songs that Glenn Slater did for the little mermaid and even sister acts, not terrible, but I mean, they don't rise to the level of course of Howard Ashman. And that's the thing where you're always going to be thinking about what would have happened if Howard Ashman had not died and what would these pieces have sounded like, or what would they have done instead? So, um, yeah, that's always like, anytime I think of what Alan Macon's career is and he's amazing he's a legend he's an icon he's phenomenal i mean almost peerless in terms of writing musical theater melodies for this generation but yeah the stuff that he did pre you know early 90s when when howard died is just so different so mm-hmm. anyway we are off on that tangent too far ashley but i think it's mm-hmm. safe to say that we're both interested at least to hear what mm-hmm. this animal we'll farm sounds s- we'll like we'll see what happens exactly mm-hmm. 
All right, Ashley, before we get back into the news, we want to take a second to talk about our sponsor for this week, BetterHelp. BetterHelp yeah. is a therapy service that, given all of the craziness that's happened this year, I feel like everybody can benefit from. BetterHelp is a fantastic service that helps you connect with a therapist online in as little as 24 hours. This is not self-help. This is actual professional counseling. Yeah, one of the great things about BetterHelp is they will assess your own personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They're not going to set you up with someone who doesn't quite fit you. You can, As far as I know, because I actually have friends who use BetterHelp, I think you can switch until you find someone who's right for you. So they're really committed to actually getting you the help you need. And anyone who does therapy, self-included, knows how important that is to find the therapist that really matches what you need going forward. Absolutely. Better help is confidential. It's convenient. It's affordable. And in fact, it's been used by so many people across the country that they are currently actively recruiting additional counselors yeah. in every state across the country. So I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you will get as a listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at nice. betterhelp.com slash Broadway. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Broadway. All right, everybody, go to betterhelp.com slash Broadway. Everybody could use a little support in therapy right now. All right, let's move on to some other news. Last week, it was announced that Jeremy O. Harris, again, apostrophe, or not apostrophe, but period. <laughs> yeah. um, Jeremy O. Period Harris and the New York Theater Workshop announced the inaugural Golden and Ruth Harris Commission. A collaboration between Harris and NYTW, the commission will offer two 50,000 commissions for a new theatrical work, allowing the recipients to work without the need to seek other income over the course of the commissioning year. In its inaugural year, the commissions will be awarded to two artists who are black women, one of whom is an artist who has yet to have a New York off-Broadway production, and another one who is an artist uh, that's had a significant impact early in their artistic lives, but has not yet had adequate support later in their career. In a awesome. statement, Harris said, quote, my grandparents, Golden and Ruth, always modeled charity and generosity within their community. Moreover, their generosity to me is the only reason I was able to write my plays, my first plays. Hopefully this commission can do the same for other artists at the theater that gave me my first significant opportunities in the American theater. In this moment of global unrest and unprecedented stasis for world theater, my hope is that this can model for our community and our government a method to radically invest in the future of our medium. Now, actually, I feel like we get another one of these types of announcements from Jeremy O'Harris, you know, every month or yeah, so. Yeah, which so, is so we, a major yeah. testament to his character Amazing. and work. Yeah, so I feel like we've talked enough about how much we admire him, and he's a, one of the leaders of the next generation of theater, blah, yep. blah, blah, yep. of course. But, like, I shouldn't be surprised that he continues to find more ways to give back, but every time he does, I am once again both thoroughly moved and impressed by it. Yeah, because it's such a rarity, unfortunately. I mean, even the line that you said, that allowing recipients to work without the need to seek other income, like that's yeah. an absolutely foreign thing for any artist. So it's, you know, so consistently great to see someone who's come up and had massive success in the past year and a half at this point. I mean, 
uh, with slave play uh, yeah. and to be and, and a- to be giving back in this manner is just so so unfortunately refreshing. And that's the thing too is just like Jeremy O'Harris has had great, slave play was a huge hit, most nominated Tony's blah 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 all that stuff. Yeah, but <laughs> those it's, minor things. But, well, but I, what I'm saying is like he had. He's had one show on Broadway, one that was yeah. a commercial success. Yeah. Granted, he's had some success on TV as well that has allowed him to do some other things. But like, he—it's—it's it's not like he's the wealthiest playwright in the world. And I'm sure that not all of this is coming out of his pocket, of course. But sure. he's finding ways to partner with organizations, whether it's New York Theater Workshop or HBO, yeah. to make these things happen. Where there are playwrights who have had a lot more financial decades, and critical success decades and show that are not show. doing this. Show after exactly. show and decades and off Broadway and Broadway and are continuously produced and all over the and place. They're, and they're just not necessarily like I mean the, the uh, you know Slave Play was a success and it was critically acclaimed but you know there was still controversy behind it. Who cares? Uh, and it wasn't like it was making you know two million dollars a week either. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, besides it being a small house. But yeah, I, it, uh, <laughs> just people have been produced for decades at this point, not putting in anywhere near the same amount of work as you said. It's like, oh, yeah. at least once a week we get a, sto- a story from Harris. And that's, it's again, unfortunately refreshing, but I'm so happy for his success. Absolutely. And, I'm, and I could not be happier that he is going to be one of the leaders. For this new yes. generation of, of theater, yes. both in terms of his generosity, generosity outside of what he writes, but also because of what yep. the content is of the of the plays that he does. Absolutely, write, so. this is a Jeremy O'Harris fan podcast. Yes. Blatantly, that we might just have to do like I'm fine a Jeremy that. O'Harris stand show on Patreon. I would or love that. Yeah, um, I mean. Oliver Roth, our, my, my good friend Oliver Roth, was one of the producers on uh, Slave Play and See? works with uh, Jeremy on other stuff. We can have him jump in as well. Let's but do it. <laughs> anyway, let's get on to some other news. And Ashley, while this is only tangentially related to theater, the biggest theater news or the biggest entertainment news to come in a super duper long time happened on Thursday night, I think. Uh, Thursday afternoon, Thursday night. When Warner Brothers announced that their entire 2021 film slate will be available on HBO Max the same day that the films are released in theaters. So how this will work is they will be like on whatever day a movie is supposed to come out. It will also premiere on HBO Max, but it will only be there for one month. Then it will go away. You could still see it in theaters if it's still in theaters, and then it will eventually come back during the normal timetable for when a film um, enters into its streaming phase of distribution. Some of the films that will be uh, part of this, most notably for theater fans, are In the Heights, which was originally supposed to premiere in theaters this past June 26th, supposed to be my birthday, whatever, it's fine, I'm not mad, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it will now premiere both in theaters and on HBO Max on June 18th of 2021. Uh, Denzel Washington's The The Little Things, Matrix 4, which stars Jonathan Groffey and Neil Patrick Harris is going to be out there as well. A new um, edition of The Conjuring, Dune, Malignant, the new Suicide Squad, the new Space Jam, all of these things will be debuting uh, simultaneously via streaming and 
in theaters as well. Since we don't really know when it'll be safe to go back to movie theaters, I very much look forward to this, and I'm just waiting for Disney to do the same thing. Yeah, would be ideal. I At this point, I mean, certainly I miss movie theaters very, very much, but yeah. I would rather have the movies at this point than you yeah. know, sit around waiting for whatever it is, as you said, safe to go back to theaters. I'd just rather have the movies. I'm not so tied to having to see new movies in a movie theater theater that it's necessity yeah um speaking of something you can watch at home coming up on new year's eve since no one's going to be going out and partying right mm, nobody's staying at yep, home right uh, <laughs> on um thursday december 31st from 8 p.m to 9 30 and then being re-aired from 9 30 to 11 on local pbs stations pbs.org and the pbs video app there will be a star-studded performance filmed at the george washington's mount vernon uh, at george washington's mount vernon and the jfk center for the performing arts that will feature some folks we've heard of including Audrey McDonald, Brian Stokes Mitchell, Josh Groban, and more. Morgan James will be there as well. Patti LaBelle, uh, Anna DeVere Smith will be a part of it. Renee Fleming will be there. Joshua Bell. Um, tons and tons of folks that will make it a very uh, festive and classic nice. New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, rather than watching Ryan Seacrest or whatever else you're going to watch. Anything but. Yes. Um, and then finally, I was going to put this in the recommendations, but I feel like this is a newsy, so I want to talk about it here. It is a an op-ed, so to speak. It's called a perspective piece from the Washington Post, but it actually comes from theater critic Peter Marks. And in this article, he talks about the need for in the new Biden administration to find somebody to lead the arts effort, but not only just as they've done it in the past, but to elevate that position to a cabinet-level position. Um, and... With that comes a lot of different things, and being a cabinet-level position is um, incredibly important and has to go through congressional approval and all that stuff. But he talks about the need to have somebody like Anthony Fauci at the cabinet level, but for the arts. Somebody who is the unquestioned national advocate for that thing. There's a Secretary of Culture in the United Kingdom. Um, there's a job minister of Canadian heritage. There's a cultural minister in France. There's a minister of arts and culture in South Korea. There's one in Vietnam, Australia, all these places, oh, 50 yeah. different countries yeah. have an official in the top ranks of the government whose portfolio includes nurturing artistic endeavors. Nothing here in the U.S. I think that it would be a an incredible step based, you know, just not just because of the conversation that I had with John uh, Lloyd Young the uh, other week about the importance of arts advocacy in the federal government, but having something like that to advocate for the national endowment for the arts and the national endowment for the humanities and all those mm -hmm. types of things. It, it's so important, especially coming out of this pandemic and coming out of the pandemic that was the Trump presidency. Um, yeah. I, I love this idea. Actually, I don't know why this hasn't been something we've talked about before as a community, but I'm super into this idea. And I hope that the Biden administration uh, really takes this to heart. Yeah. Everything you just said, I can't add anything to it. I would, I would love, you know, I would, we all would love, to have the arts on some nationally recognized level, especially because, as we've been saying for months and months and months, like, what are you doing during this pandemic? You're consuming art. Obviously, it's an important thing that we kind of push to the wayside is just quote unquote entertainment. Not we, but, you know, the general we. So yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's long overdue. There was, uh, you know, you look at the Cold War when we were basically using art as a 
a weapon and having like yeah. the Congress for Cultural Freedom, that was really as close as we've gotten to it. That, that was still a weaponized thing. And once we weren't using it as a weapon anymore, we're like, all right, bye, Art. So it would be good to have it as an actual thing that we're promoting and supporting rather than just the American way of weaponizing things. Yeah. All right, let's move on, Ashley, to our feel-good recommendations. The first one is a song and a, and a group of people that will never not make me feel good. On December 2nd, virtually, of course, members of the original cast of Rent reunited to perform Seasons of Love at the God's Love We Deliver Virtual Golden Heart Awards. If you're unfamiliar with uh, God's Love We Deliver, it's an organization that has a mission to improve the health and well-being of men, women, and children living with HIV and AIDS, cancer, and mm -hmm. other serious illnesses by alleviating hunger and malnutrition. The uh, a ton of original cast members uh, were part of it. Not only Adina Menzel, Anthony Rapp, Tay Diggs, Adam Pascal, uh, Daphne Rubin Vega was in there, but I also saw Wilson Jermaine Heredia, Rodney Hicks, um, uh, Gwen Stewart, um, Freddie Walker, all of those types nice. of people. The only person I missed, there was no Jesse L. Martin, which mm, makes me sad because he's my, cause he's my favorite. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite, but, um, so cool. I always get emotional, um, and, and get chills when I hear that group of people perform that song, even yeah. if some of the solos had to be, uh, pulled down a little bit. Hey, and, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. It's been 23, exactly. 24 years. Exactly. So it goes with the territory. Um, but then the other recommendation is such a feel good thing. I don't even, I can't even stand it. And I'm not even Jewish, but, um, on Friday, David Diggs, actually on Saturday, David Diggs released a music video for his new Hanukkah song. Cause if you didn't realize David Diggs is Jewish, um, it was new Hanukkah song <laughs> puppy for Hanukkah. Um, yes. and it is very cool. It was released as part of, uh, from Walt Disney records. And he wrote it with his creative partners, William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes. And it is just, I, you know, like I said, I'm allergic to dogs, so I don't really get the whole dog uh, thing. Like I understand it, uh, but I'm not emotionally attached to dogs, but just the coolness of this video, um, was, was, was very exciting and very heartwarming leading into the holiday season. Love that. I will, you know, a massive notable David Diggs fan. So I am very much into the holiday spirit and David Diggs is going to pull me further into the holiday spirit. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That is all that we have. Thank you for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWB. Matt, Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.